Gold fighting to hold the 1700 level. Bitcoin fighting to breach the 60,000 level. Oil, uranium, firmly above 30. Cosmic wings, vaccine passports, virtual land, Elon Musk, Pfizer, a lot going on in this bizarro world of ours. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 111 of Bizarro World. Mr. Hodge, how are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. Uh, I hope you are well and I hope everyone had a good weekend, long weekend, and uh, maybe uh, still even in, enjoying it. So this one is recorded extra early because uh, I'm traveling. Uh, just a caveat there that in case we miss something that happened in the past couple of days. Excellent. Excellent. I hope everyone had an excellent holiday weekend. Um, let's get right into it, Nick. You know, it's it's Thursday after market gold after dipping below the 1700 level again, bounced back beautifully. Um, it looks like 1735, 1740 is the next target it needs to take out before we see a run towards 1800 again. But as of Thursday, market close, it's looking solid. Close at 1729. Thoughts on gold? I, I kind of know what you're going to say, but I, I want you to say it anyway. I told you it could go below <laughs> 1700. I remember saying as much on this very podcast that it could go to the high 1600s and everything would still be okay. Um, not sure that this is the breakout moment. Uh, that 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 you and I want like the big one, right? Like the the, the quote unquote big one. But nonetheless, um, it's been a good I don't know. Let's call it uh, week for gold stocks at least. I know uh, mm. gold had a, a break below seventeen hundred and, and then had a a forty dollar or so update. But um, we were talking about things like Newmont and AGI, and you were writing about how uh, producers and royalty companies had solid balance sheets, and that continues to be the case with. Um, a lot of green on the screen for the Kinrosses and the Alamoses and the, and the uh, barracks of the world, et cetera, over the uh, past couple of days. So that's good to see. Um, I can ramble if you want. I don't know what to attribute that to. I think it's just sort of a, uh, a bounce off of the, the dip below 1700 because, you know, rates still sort of uh, elevated. Uh, dollar making everybody think it's strong, but it's not. I don't think it's because of the sell-off. I just think it's uh, the ebb and flow of where we are. The dollar uh, below 93, but you know, if you look at a, at a 12-month chart, it looks good. If you look at a three-year chart, I think we can see the trend, right? The direction. Right. Um, I don't believe that multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages are good for the dollar, but I also do believe that the dollar is the cleanest, dirty shirt out there. So it will be interesting to me. Um, what the dollar does here in the next several quarters. Back to your comment regarding the junior equities and the mid-tiers and the majors outperforming the gold price. I think it's actually a very similar setup to what the uranium equities did, right? I mean, there was a point where uranium, the spot price anyhow, dipped to 24, 25, and the juniors quit believing the spot price or caring about the spot price. It became abundantly clear to anyone with a calculator that in order for us to pivot to a cleaner energy that will involve nuclear, the price has to go up, the spot price. And so I think, you know, the 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 the, the smart money, quote unquote, whatever that is, finally decided to get off the sidelines. And I think a lot of that has to do 
with many of the companies like URC, like UEC, Yellowcake that decided they were going to take that balance sheet and start buying physical supply. We've seen hundreds of millions of dollars raised in the past month or so by developers and producers who would much rather buy it at these levels and sell it back later when the utilities decide that they're happy to pay 70 bucks um, a pound. So similar setup I see developing with the juniors. I think that, you know, the Chicana coppers of the world that continue to hit, um, they can only go down so much more if they're adding value with the drill bit every other week, right? And so that's very, very encouraging to me. Um, and let's see if the follow through, uh, is, 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 is healthy enough to, to lead us higher, at least in the junior space, at least in the equities, right? Or at least enough to attract attention back to the space to, uh, get some uplift on positive news results. Agreed. And let's talk about positive news results. We thought this week may be the week that we had more results from Kinsley Mountain with New Placerdome Gold and Nevada Sunrise Gold. We've all heard the whispers that, we should hopefully be looking forward to positive results. You know what they say about whispers. Um, they often fall on deaf ears, and that's often a good thing. So don't read anything more into that than you should. But I am excited what looks like to be a week of news results next week because it didn't happen this week. And frankly, I thought it was going to. So I'll speculate that the holiday weekend and the markets being closed on Friday likely led to the decision to hold those results for an extra couple of days, given what gold was doing earlier in the week. Probably a smart decision, right? That's it. Yeah, I like it. Let's get right into um, Cosmic Wings. What oh, the goodness. hell? Or I, 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 I'm curious. You and I talked off air. You asked me if I had heard about these cosmic wings, and uh, you didn't see my face because we were talking on the phone. But I looked confused and puzzled, and I am. Well, and puzzled. That's, that's because I, I hadn't heard of them uh, either until just the other day. But here's the new thing that uh, large restaurant chains are doing amid uh, uh, COVID and the. Uh, a trend to, to order food to your door. Uh, and it speaks to the bizarro world we live in. So, um, you know, obviously over the past year, uh, things like Uber Eats and DoorDash uh, have come in handy to uh, bring food to your door. So, well, first of all, when you really weren't uh, able to leave your house, but then so uh, restaurants could also open really safely. And so you could order from a local business that otherwise uh, might not get an order. You're obviously aware of this trend, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, if you look, uh, and someone did because it made it into the Wall Street Journal this week, at like what some of the most uh, popular restaurants are on some of these apps like Uber Eats, um, for example, one of the most popular restaurants, quote unquote, what restaurants on Uber Eats is a, is a, is a restaurant selling Cheeto coated chicken wings. It's like <laughs> crushed, crushed up uh Neon Cheetos, and that's like the breading for the chicken wing, and the the, the restaurant's called Cosmic Wings. Uh, good reviews, obviously very popular, um, except that it's Applebee's. And so what these restaurants have figured out is that if you can, uh, and it's called a ghost kitchen, you can set yourself up as a, go a ghost kitchen, uh, create a brand out of thin air, and make it look like a local brand or an independently owned restaurant, um, and specialize in one type of food. So um, there's multiple restaurants doing this now, but the, the go-to example is the Cosmic Wings uh, and the Applebee's. And um, maybe I'll write an article about this, but to me, and I'd love to hear, I guess, your opinion, um, 
that's some really like uh, capitalistic and um, I don't know. It was just interesting to me um, to see that Cosmic Wings was owned by Applebee's and they're fooling people into thinking it's, uh, you know, some independent uh, wing, wing restaurant. Somewhere in America sits a prisoner in a state or federal facility wanting to sue these people, likely <laughs> for stealing <laughs> what I imagine is a typical Friday evening when your commissary comes in and you have Cheetos and you have wings, but you don't have very many other options. Um, this sounds like prison gourmet to me. Well, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars. So, uh, for example, Chili's has one as well. Chili's uh, craft restaurant, let's call it, is called It's Just Wings. And <laughs> what it, else could it be? <laughs> it's well, it's it's just wings, Gerardo. So, it's just wings. Uh, expects to do one hundred and fifty million dollars in annual sales this year. Um, and not only, well, and you know what? I lie. I lie because it's not just wings. They also sell fried <laughs> Oreos. Are those called just fried Oreos? <laughs> uh, no, because they're from just, it's just wings, which is owned by Chili's, um, which has a parent company called Brinker International. And so uh, smoke and mirrors and probably not too much smoke, at least real smoke in those wings. Listen, I admire the capitalism. I am a capitalist at heart um, in the true sense of the word, not capitalism the way it's practiced today. Um, <laughs> good for them. Good for them. Uh, it, it, it is what it is, right? Um, Red Watt Robin has one called Chicken Sammy's. <laughs> and Outback Steakhouse has one called The Wing Department. <laughs> Oh, mine no, would excuse be me. And, and the tender shack. Mine would be called just breast. <laughs> you don't like the bone? I prefer the breast. <laughs> anyway, cosmic wings in uh, COVID America in 2021 mm -hmm. being delivered by unprofitable companies whose stocks go up, uh, manufactured by restaurants masquerading in their ghost kitchens as another brand. Uh, coating their chicken wings in uh, terrible snack food. They just need a SPAC now to monetize it. <laughs> That's incredible, Gerardo. <laughs> incredible is right. You know what else is incredible? We've talked at length about voter suppression in the U.S. and how really the only way to kind of tilt the scales towards justice in America is if you're wealthy enough to be able to afford a lobbyist, Right. And we saw a classic, classic example of that this week with Texas, Texas, the state I live in and call home, and Georgia, both, both introducing um, legislation that is designed to restrict, not enhance, restrict voter access. And of course, the, you know, the, 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 the provisions in these bills and laws, of course, they target lower income communities, oftentimes communities of color. But be very clear, there are whites and blacks and Mexicans and Asians and all sorts in the lower income community. I can tell you that because I grew up in a lower income community with you know many types of people. And I am actually encouraged by ESPN, Coca-Cola. 
city, a number of corporations that came out and said, we will not do business in your state if you move forward with these oppressive voter restriction bills. This is not what we want to encourage. We will take employment and opportunity away from your state. And I actually had a smile on my face, Nick, because I didn't think I would see the day where Delta and Coca-Cola and City and ESPN all got together and said, no, that's not good for the average American. So rewrite it, bitch. Hopefully it works. This is a topic we've talked about on this podcast at least twice. Um, and we mentioned Georgia specifically. And uh, I think we even talked about the potential for corporations to get involved in. And here it is. Some took longer than others, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it turned into a rallying cry of sorts. And I know you want to get into the uh, Derek Chauvin trial, but all related in my mind, right, as far as uh, a change of sentiment and uh, frankly related to the to the fourth turning as far as um, how we prioritize things. Uh, well, yeah, how we prioritize things. Agreed. Um, and, and again, for those of you maybe because we, we have listeners from all over the world that are that are you know curious about the type of provisions that I'm talking about that that the Republicans wanted to introduce, they wanted to limit early voting hours. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to make it as difficult as possible for the average American who works a nine to five, gets up at seven, leaves at eight, drives 45 minutes, clocks in, clocks out at five, five thirty, gets home at seven, right? Has dinner. They wanted to make sure that the voting hours wouldn't be from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. because then people have time to come home and actually go out and vote and stand in line and have their vote counted, right? As it should in a democracy um, or a republic that we call an experiment in democracy. They wanted to limit those hours from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. just to make sure that, you know, unless you work from home or drive or don't rely on, you know, any kind of a public transportation, you wouldn't be able to vote. And it's absolute trash. It's absolute trash and good on all those companies. I'll put a link up for calling out specifically the party and the individuals that introduced these bills because it's absolute trash. It has nothing to do with fraud. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is 2021, people. Um, we can come up with a better system, and we've talked about that before. But uh, when people sh show you who they are, you should believe them. And the people that introduced this bill, it's anti-American. They aren't patriots. They aren't doing this um, for the average Joe. Um, they're doing it to gerrymander districts. And, 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 you know, that's a whole other conversation we can get into. But good on the companies that stepped up. Hopefully we see more of that. Uh, I think it's necessary. I think it's the only way right now in our current system to to tilt the scales, right? Do we know what the result is? Are they going to uh, with the bill? Well, in Texas, it, uh, it, it one bill passed and it's going to the Senate now. Um, they did this. <laughs> they they It's Senate Bill 7 is what it's called. And this thing was passed like at one in the morning, you know, after hours of debate. And so, you know, Senator or Governor Dan Patrick, excuse me, this is a, a signature bill for him um, where he says it's designed to address areas throughout the process where bad actors can take advantage. 
And it's, again, the hypocrisy, right? The hypocrisy. Governor Patrick is going to tell us that he knows the areas where there's bad actors, right? Guess where those areas are, everybody? The places that don't contribute to the tax base or to Mr. Patrick's campaigns. Sure. And Yeah. And, and, you know, again, good on the corporations, many which lean right for stepping up and saying, hey, we donated this much to your campaign. You're going to rewrite that. Um, We'll see what the final versions look like. Um, there's been some modifications to the original bills. I get upset that they even tried to pass this in two, 2021, right? It's absolutely nuts to me. That's all I got on that one. Let's let, let, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's um, I want to talk vaccine passports because this is an interesting discussion to me. So I got my second shot, um, fully vaccinated, excited as all heck. Um, happy to be out and about in the world again. Happy to hug people again. Looking forward uh, to all the pleasant delights that come with being free, right? Freedom. And so I am all for that. I can't wait to, to get back to indoor concerts and comedy shows and, you know, all the other things that, that we did over a year ago. So when I see the reaction from both the right and the left to vaccine passports, it's interesting to me because the concept itself isn't troublesome to me as long as it's not mandated. But it is troublesome to me if we're going to have a system where it's required in order to do certain things, right? And so I would love to hear your take on vaccine passports, Nick, because I have my own thoughts about it, but but I want to hear what you think about the um, the possibility of government mandating a person to have a vaccine passport so we know what the vaccination status is so that people can either travel more freely or go to larger events. Um, You know, I've heard arguments that this is class warfare at its finest. I've heard other arguments that, you know, this is the way that we get to a new normal. You know how I feel about government getting involved with telling us what the new normal is. Your thoughts, Mr. Hodge? We could just all get a chip that has our vaccination status on it stores our nfts which countries we're allowed to go to etc of course that's the extreme but um you gotta you gotta stand up against uh mandates like this when it comes to um how you look at them as a gateway to a, a dystopian future or um how it relates to people's fears of the government's overreach, uh, mismanagement of uh, data, and exactly uh, why you would need to show your papers uh, in the United States. And so, um, not anti-vax by any means. I've already got the first jab. But to take the step to say that everyone is required to show some sort of health record or or vaccination record to me is uh, a bit egregious, I think. And so um, as a libertarian, especially uh, because we have enough things, limitations from the government as far as licensing and uh, regulation, and we we try to uh, fight against those things. Uh, We're more for autonomy and uh, responsibility of the individual. And I believe that uh, as evidenced by the data, um, individuals are taking this responsibility seriously. I think the 
but the numbers are changing very fast because it's multiple millions of people getting shots daily now. But at last check, it was well over one in three uh, eligible Americans or adults uh, had their first shot. And so, you know, if we get to a place where we know the data is such that so many people are vaccinated um, and we get to a point which we're close to now where the, uh, you know, infection rates and hospitalization rates are uh going the right direction we have a better handle on the disease we have uh not just vaccines but uh therapies emerging as well for primary strain and the variants and so um i don't think we need to use this as an excuse to uh again have another uh record that the government needs to to keep track of we're already uh well down that that hole as it comes to uh you know uh tracking transactions and uh, tracking where you go. And uh, I could talk about this at, at length, you know, the license plate readers on the, the back of cars, et cetera. And so anyway, I'm uh, starting to ramble now. But no, for all those reasons, I think that the uh, the requirement of a passport, a vaccine passport is uh, unnecessary. Well, uh, still thinking that the vaccine is necessary. Agreed. I was actually, again, surprised for the better um, of the Biden administration's take. I thought it was rational and I thought it was sensical. Um, senior advisor said the public would be more reluctant to get vaccinated if they feel like the government, the federal government, is playing too much of a role in that. We are happy to provide guidance and make recommendations, but we do not want to institute a federal mandate. I thought that was well-balanced and Reasonable. Agree. Awesome. Let's talk uh, side effects to the vaccine. How, how, how was your first jab, Mr. Hodge? Uh, I had the Moderna and my arm was sore for a day and that was it. That was the first shot. So we'll see how the second one goes. I think that the like second, second week of April. I like it. I like it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I, I, I knock on wood and thank my lucky stars. I had them both. I didn't other than a sore arm. Zero side effects. Um, I'm not taller. I'm not any more handsome. I'm not any uglier. I don't have a third arm, but I felt normal. Um, the day after I was working out, lifting, uh, boxing, and um, I was surprised. I kept waiting. You know, anytime I'd get a little little allergy sneeze or something, I oh, here it comes, right? Um, it just it just didn't happen. And so, you know, hopefully that's the experience of the majority of people. Did you see Ryan Reynolds' tweet? It's pretty funny. <laughs> The he no, tweeted a picture of himself getting the getting vaccinated, and his caption was, "I finally got the five G." <laughs> That's very similar to my favorite one. Somebody tweeted, um, "Ever since I got the vaccine, I no longer need Microsoft updates." It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. Um, the George Floyd case, um, the, the the trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who put his knee on the back of Mr. Floyd's neck for over eight minutes. Um, it's been tough to watch. You know, there's firefighters that have testified that they were pleading with the officer to 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 quit blocking his airway that they were pleading for him to use less force there's been testimony by kids 
I'm talking six, seven, eight-year-old kids that were around um, that are clearly traumatized. And I think that, you know, obviously Mr. Floyd dying is an absolute tragedy. Um, but I think oftentimes with situations like this or a mass shooting, I think we forget sometimes that oftentimes the people left behind end up with as much if not more trauma, right? Um, surrounding the, 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 the initial incident and tragedy. And this is something that can have generational effects on people. And so, uh, it, it's been tough. It's been tough to, to, to listen to testimony. I haven't dug into it too deep because it is, it is, it is, it is hard for me not to get very, very, very angry, um, at the response. And, and, you know, you look at how much could have been done, how th th there were so many opportunities during those eight minutes to, to choose different, to be better. He was restrained. He was handcuffed. He was pleading for his life. He was explaining to him that he couldn't breathe. There were EMTs on the scene that were refused access to Mr. Floyd. Meaning the police didn't want the EMTs to give him medical care. I mean, if that isn't criminal, if that isn't intent, I don't know what is. Um... But again, you know, the media, you know, it should be noted there were other significant conditions, including fentanyl intoxication, because admittedly, um, Mr. Floyd and his his ex-girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend testified that, you know, they, they they went in for a procedure a few years ago and then got addicted to, to pills, to opioids, what they prescribed. And, and it was something that he was dealing with. But let's be absolutely clear, folks, eight minutes, anybody, you give me eight minutes on your neck. And I weigh 150 pounds. I'm a little guy, 5'6", 150. You give me eight minutes and let me conquer down on your windpipe. And then tell me that it's the other stuff in your system that, that, that caused it. I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, heart disease and, and any methamphetamine use didn't help the cause. But the officer wasn't aware of that and he sure in the hell didn't care. And again, there was just so much opportunity to do it differently that... Um, Things have to change, and they are. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk New York City. Big, big, big deal out of New York when it comes to um, immunity for, for for police. And and I think this is going to be a game changer in our country for how we look at criminal justice and, and di discipline with officers. But, yeah, thoughts on the case, Nick? Have you followed it all? Well, I've been following. It's, it's definitely tough to watch some of the testimony, but it's important to um, follow along. And... Um, not many thoughts there, except uh, that I'd like to add, except that, you know, he agreed, the officer I'm talking about, Chauvin, to plead to uh, third degree murder, to plead guilty um, in the days after George Floyd uh, died. And so uh, he was ready to admit his guilt, at least to, to third degree murder. And so I think um, if you're listening, you got to take that into consideration when you when you think about this case. And it was. Uh, then uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, who who stopped that deal from going through. And so um, if the police officer himself was uh, prepared to admit guilt to at least one of the charges and the other ones in the case are manslaughter and second degree, then um, I think that tells you all you need to know. And uh, what I was saying earlier uh, when we were talking about the 
uh, voting laws was that it's sort of uh, related, more than sort of, actually, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like a sentiment thing. I think for years and years and years, we've been disappointed at the conclusion of cases like this. And it's uh, been more of the same as far as, um, frankly, a lack of accountability for police officers. And so mm-hmm. at a point um, that has to that has to change. And I think this case is very symbolic. So I'm very interested to see the outcome. I am interested and frankly a bit worried to see the outcome. If there is a no not guilty verdict, I think it's going to be another hot summer. And we said that last year at the beginning of all this. I'll say it again. I don't underestimate a jury's ability to sympathize with a police officer that looks like them for the most part. Um especially when you have an attorney, as this officer does, that is hell-bent on attacking the dead guy, right? Um, and not actually responding to <laughs> the, uh, the incident that his client is up for trial on. And so, yeah, something to keep an eye on. It's going to be interesting. That brings me right into... Um, you know, the move from the city of New York to end qualified immunity. This is a week of pleasant surprises for me, Nick, because again, you and I have chatted about this and how important it was for this to happen. Um, And it's happening. It's happening. And so for those not familiar, qualified immunity is the practice of not being able to file even a civil lawsuit against a government official performing his or her official duties unless they clearly establish statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known, which is legalese for if you're a police officer and throw a 76-year-old man down and he hits his head and the 76-year-old was doing nothing, not only can you not be sued for that, you're often commended. And so this vote by the city council that ends qualified immunity for the largest police force, and dare I say, one of the most egregious and asshole police forces in the country. No disrespect to the fine officers, men and women of the NYPD. All disrespect to the corrupt asshole ones that are within the few bad apples, right? That you and I always joke about, Nick. Um, Yeah, no, this is a step forward. And I think this this is a decision that I believe is going to continue a trend I think will continue and um yeah thoughts it's like you say the one of the largest the largest police force in the United States and so uh, that's what I mean about uh things having to eventually uh go the the other direction if in fact there's going to be institutional change and this is uh another one of those dominoes or another one of those instances Um, where we're starting to see things uh, go the other direction when it comes to uh, being able to hold police officers accountable for their actions. Uh, At the end of the day, they uh, work for citizens and they've got to be uh, accountable to us. And I guess the only other thing I'd add is that um, the qualified immunity has racist roots, you know, established in uh, the 1960s in in, Missis- in Mississippi so mm-hmm. um so and that relates again to the to the to the case we were just uh, describing in the and the racial undertones that continue uh 
uh, even now. And so uh, good to see. Yeah, we had you and I in depth conversations about this this past summer about uh, things that needed to be done. And then this was uh, high on the list and hopefully sets a, a precedent for other police departments. Accountability. We're big on that. Um, so this next topic is one that really makes my blood boil. And I'll be careful with what I say because I have two parents that are living in a part of Mexico that is extremely dangerous and delicate right now. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, there was an article this week that just kind of confirmed something that you and I had talked about off air. You had asked me, you know, how things were back home in Mexico. And I, I told you it's, 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 it's tough right now. There's, you know, it's, it's grenades, it's, um, daily murders, it's kidnappings, it's all sorts of ugly stuff. And, um, you know, you asked me, you know, where I thought, um, you know, it came from. And, 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 you know, I explained that, look, I've seen some of the weapons that the cartels have. Those are the U.S. weapons and Israeli weapons. And, you know, we don't manufacture that in Mexico, right? So obviously they have to be coming uh, from the U.S. And there was a report a few months ago of a rogue CIA agent that, you know, was selling um, military-grade weapons to the cartels, right? And by rogue, it means some journalist probably found out about it. And so he had to take the rap. So, you know, there's an article now um, that says, <laughs> not only did the U.S. help the biggest drug cartel in Mexico traffic tons of drugs and commit murders, they also provided the weapons to do so. And this was an admission from the U.S. Department of Justice. And it was only uncovered because of transcripts from a motion for discovery of... I won't name the gentleman because, again, I have family in a very delicate part of the country. Um, but back in July of 2011, there was a discovery request made by the attorney of the cartel leader. And basically, the cartel leader said, okay, sure, I did traffic tons of coke. Yes, killed many people. Um but guess who gave me the okay and the green light? And it reminded me, it reminded me a bit of the people that stormed the Capitol during the insurrection, right? Where the defense for a lot of them right now is, hey, I was invited. I was told to go fight. I was told to go fight like hell. My president told me to do this. And so, um... The war on drugs is a war on people, and it's not just on people with substance abuse problems or people of color here in this country. It's a war against the people of Mexico. Hundreds of thousands of people have been murdered, raped, beheaded, um, entire towns taken over, entire states taken over, and it's being facilitated by us, by the United States, right? And so slippery slope. It's ugly. It has real life consequences for a lot of people, including family and friends of mine. Um, ugly stuff. I'll share a personal story. We have a family friend, again, who shall remain nameless, who we don't know whether to mourn or not. Because several months ago, I was told that he was dead, he, he he was taken and never came back, and so presumed dead, right? Found a body that resembled his, chopped in pieces. 
And then like a month and a half afterwards, I'm told by someone else that, well, we think maybe he faked his death. And so I'm sitting here in my home office thinking, well, wait a minute, somebody that I know well, I've known for a long time. Either way, it's ugly because if he did fake his death, then who's the poor bastard that got chopped up, right? Sure. And so just a nasty, complicated situation that is really, really, really being um, allowed and facilitated and encouraged by the U.S. government and the DEA. And we saw this in Colombia in the 90s, you know, and, and in the early 2000s where they were chasing Escobar. And, you know, later on, we found out that a lot of the people under the mask, you know, they weren't Colombian paramilitary. They were DEA and, and hit squads, right? Uh, Secret Service, CIA hit squads. Um, in 20 years, I think we're going to look back at what's going on in Mexico right now and just be absolutely blown away by the degree of involvement by the United States of America. I don't doubt you one bit, given America's history of <clears throat> nefarious intervention in uh, foreign locations, uh, one of which you uh, clearly cited there. And uh, I'm no expert at all, so uh, I'm not going to weigh in. And I don't have the firsthand experience or connections as you. So I further won't weigh in. But what I will say is that um, it's clearly not working, right? Um, it hasn't <laughs> worked. Um, the war on drugs has been a, a proven failure. And so... Uh, for me, the question uh, or what I wonder is, you know, where this policy comes from. And, um, you know, I get maybe wanting to destabilize neighbors, but I don't get um, wanting to pursue a policy that leads to uh, has led to record amounts of Americans dying from drug overdoses, um, which we had another record for in 2020. And so that's what I don't understand. It's um, some nefarious stuff going on, right? And again, I think, I think you know, we talk about the fourth turning all the time. I think we're going through just an incalculable amount of change that is so difficult, I think, even for those of us that, 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 that are really aware or try to be aware, at least, of everything going on around us. But I think the amount of change that's happening all simultaneously is so huge in scale that, you know, again, I think in 20 years, we're going to look back and be like, wow. Well, wow. we're talking about the war on drugs at the same time as you can take meetings for psilocybin stock deals, right? And so it's, it's uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk happy news. That was, a, you know, that was a back-to-back -back, uh, tough stuff to talk about. Uh, Elon Musk, the world's best billionaire troll, is at it again. Um, this week, using the power of the tweet, he announced that he would donate $30 million, um, 20 million to schools in Cameron County and 10 million to revitalize downtown Brownsville right on the border. Um, and, and, and of course, for those not familiar, this is home to one of the company's rocket production facilities and close to its launch site. And so, um, you know, Elon says, I want people to move down there. I want downtown to look nicer. I want people to know that if you move your family down here to work for Tesla, the school system will be adequate. And again, like the corporation stepping up to Georgia and Texas, like, you know, the ending of qualified immunity for police officers in New York, if that sticks, 
this is a great example of someone not waiting for the city to get its act together, but saying, here, I am going to light the match that should force you in the right direction. Um, because now people know you got $30 million and you better give us something in return, right? Good stuff. When you're one of the richest men in the world, you can throw around millions like that. And uh, good to see that uh, a lot of billionaires are committed to philanthropy and uh, yeah, putting that money to use to uh, affect good change. Agreed. Uh, Musk tweeted, please consider moving to Starbase or the greater Brownsville South Padre area in Texas and encourage friends to do so. It will grow by several thousand people over the next year or two. And I tell you what, Nick, I, I got back from a trip last weekend um, and got a chance to drive because it's right by the airport here in Austin, drive by the Gigafactory. And my Lord, is this thing massive? I mean, just massive. It's uh, it's hard to put into words because the feeling when you're driving by is just, you know, obviously 5,000 jobs. The postings are already going. Austin is already one of the hottest cities in the country. But it was is the scale of this Gigafactory was pretty impressive to see in person. You drive by for minutes? You can drive by. I don't know if for minutes, but you're pushing a minute. You're pushing a minute. It's pretty neat. Pretty neat. Um, what else is pretty neat? Let's talk a, a bit more about the vaccine. Pfizer announced that a trial of 2,000 um, children for its vaccine provided 100% protection and zero side effects. And so that is a positive, happy story that I am, you know, and again, if, if you don't want the vaccine for your child, completely understand it. But for those that do... I am, I am again encouraged and optimistic to see that it looks like, you know, it looks like sometime this summer, um, that's going to be a viable option for children under the age of 16, which again is, 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 it's, it's, it's another step in the right direction. And, you know, on that front, I got to give it to the Biden administration. They've really ramped up this rollout and look here in Texas on the 29th, they announced everybody is eligible for it. Just make the appointment, get in line. And as soon as the supply comes on board, everybody can have it. And so, yeah, no, no, no. Good stuff. Some positive stuff to report on, right? Everything is, maybe not everything is a, a broad term, but lots of things are opening back up. I've seen lots of help wanted ads at breweries and, and restaurants and uh, across the city on Instagram. Lots of uh, people asking for resumes and things like that. So uh, good to see. I think we're, we're getting close to reopening and, um, uh, we'll see how hot the summer is to allow us to get outside. Agreed. Agreed. You want to talk about virtual land? <laughs> Can't believe I have to. <laughs> it's 2021, Nick. The writers are hard at work, as you say. Can't believe I have to. So um, not that we didn't see this coming. We've talked about um, the precursor to this. It's probably been uh, over a year ago on this podcast uh, when we were talking about uh, games that your sons play, uh, for example. Uh, remind me of the mining game. I'm so old. What's it called? Minecraft. Right, where you could buy um, people were building buildings and, and you could sell those things to other people who didn't want to spend the time to build them themselves. Right. You remember all this. Um, so that's sort, of, that's sort of like the precursor to buying virtual land. And then, of course, we um, had the 
things on the blockchain with the crypto horses, uh, etc. And more, <laughs> more, more recently, the NFTs, uh, the NBA with top shots, um, and then selling, um, you know, videos of slam dunks, for example, and then there being a market for that. Uh, NFT, of course, a non-fungible token. You can own a, a moment stored in the blockchain, tokenized, um, as it were. And um, in the past week, and you talked about people, right? The, the, the NFT painting selling for $69 million, I think it was. And of course, last week, we talked about John Cleese and his bridge, his, his virtual Brooklyn bridge, Brooklyn bridge that he had for sale that... Um, of course, Jeff Bezos's foreskin was big, <laughs> and um, had to get that one in there. So this week, I was reading about virtual land sales, and of course, Gerardo, um, hard assets are going up in price, like real estate, uh, like housing, like uh, farmland, because they aren't making any more of it. I know the market is very hot in Austin; it's hot here, and. Uh, Spokane, and I've heard from people in other states and cities that have been unable to acquire a house even above asking price. And so it's it's a thoroughly hot real estate market. But did you know that you could also buy virtual land, NFT land, Gerardo? Even so, little old me can do this from the comfort little, of my own home? Old you can do this. So... <laughs> Um, I got to read because I don't even understand. There's different communities, right? Different places where you can go, like Top Shots, for example, for the cards I mentioned. But in Decentraland, um, you, can, you, can block, you can buy a plot of land for the average price is 16.6 Ethereum. And in the Sandbox, uh, which is an open gaming metaverse. I can't believe I'm reading these words. Um, Hold on a quick second, Nick. We got. I got to qualify this. I, I want to make sure I'm hearing this right. You could buy it for how many Ethereum? So it says that the average land price in decentralized in decentralized is sixteen point <laughs> six Ethereum. Um, and each Ethereum is like two thousand right now. Just to be crazy, clear, right? everybody. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't me, crazy old me, hearing wrong. Yep. So far, uh, over 330 million U.S. dollars have changed hands in uh, virtual land assets. And uh, I, let me just read you this paragraph because uh, it's crazy. So um, real estate buyers who are sitting on heaps of distressed properties in the real world are pushing up the value <laughs> of virtual lands where there are no confinements, curfews, or other limitations to visitors entering the shops, clubs, and casinos. Since January, the average price of virtual land has jumped from 192 US dollars to over 1300 US dollars, uh, peaking at $3,500 10 days ago. And so, um, I, you know, I, this is something that I, I don't understand. So uh, you have to research this more on your own. But um, how do you buy something that you can, you know, make more of? I get that there's a chip shortage, but um, how are we quantifying this uh, digital land, et cetera? It's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Meanwhile, kids in Flint, Michigan still don't have clean water. It's crazy. No, it's crazy. It's a bizarre world, everybody. Nick, what are you looking forward to this next week? I know you have some traveling to do. We're coming off a holiday weekend. Anything in the market that is intriguing to you? I've already, um, you know, for the second week in a row laid out that I am really excited and looking forward to more assays 
from Kinsley Mountain, New Placer Dome Gold, and Nevada Sunrise Gold. Ditto for Chicana Copper. Um, anything that you're curious about? I wanted to talk more about uranium. I think those equities are starting to get really hot. Um, mm. uh, I, you mentioned that the price was over $30 a pound and that it had some catch up to do to the equities, but um, they're really starting to, to break out across the entire space. And that infrastructure bill, um, you know, earmarks some money for new nuclear technologies as part of uh, re-energizing re the grid. And um, but I would just be looking at, at, at uranium names. I think that uh, they still remain de de depressed and there's not a lot of good ones uh, out there. And I guess... Um, lastly, I would mention recess because uh, holy mm, cow, that was you're killing it. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> That's why you about. mentioned it. <laughs> uh, closing, uh, I think above a dollar fifty today, and having readers in that below a dollar just earlier in in March. And so, um, uh, but the precedent there, if you remember, it was a company called EXP that went from a dollar to ninety dollars. And so, um, recess starting to catch a bit of a bid as well. And mostly I'm looking forward to, to volume coming back into the market, which we mentioned last week, because we'll have the holiday behind us and um, we'll start to figure out this uh, dollar and rates move a bit more, I think. Agreed. Another name for everyone out there, if you're looking for a, a, a patient speculation, is uh, K2 Gold. Yeah, they had some news today. They're getting back in the field. They are in the midst of waiting for approval for up to 120 drill holes, which is a pretty aggressive drill program. They had some excellent numbers from the first round of drilling. The latest release, the last release, had three or four holes that missed, but it only missed because it never reached the target depth. And so I that's a project, the Mojave Gold Project in California, the Republic of California, um, that 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 I think has a lot, a lot of upside. And I know that the stock sold off a bit um, on the news that they weren't going to be able to get out there and drill immediately. But I believe at these levels, it is a great, great, great speculation. And, you know, everybody knows, I believe we will break out to new all-time highs in the gold space and that'll happen. And I would hate for people to buy it at a dollar and be excited when you could buy it at 36 cents today and be excited. Always better to buy cheaper. Buy low, sell high. That's what it's called. The boring time is usually the time to load up, everybody. That's it. And you've got some opportunities now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nick, that's all I got. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No. Uh, again, I uh, hope everyone had a good holiday and uh, let's get ready for a good second quarter. Have a great second quarter, everybody. Have a great spring. Baseball is back. I'm off to watch my Cubs game. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 111 of Bizarro World. Stay safe, be kind, have fun. You can do all those, not necessarily in that order. Send us away, Nick. Let's do them in the real world, uh, the Bizarro World, and not the, <laughs> the Decentraland. See ya. Freedom!